Would you please pray with me? Loving and gracious God, we give you thanks for this day. We give you thanks for your spirit that illuminates and saturates our world, for your presence that is with us even now. And we pray that that presence will help us hear your word for us today. Amen. This summer, we're studying the book of Exodus. This is the story of Israel's liberation from oppression and the lasting effects of that oppression on a people who struggle to be truly free. So far in the story, we've been introduced to the king of Egypt, who oppresses and enslaves the Israelites, but a group of women resist with civil disobedience. Midwives and mothers refuse to follow unjust laws and save the life of a boy named Moses. Moses grows up as Egyptian royalty, but flees to the desert after killing a slave master. While in the desert, Moses notices a burning bush. He leaves his sheep to go investigate and meets God, who sends him to free the enslaved Israelites. But when he gets there, things do not go so great. The Pharaoh only worsens the oppressions of the people, but Pharaoh's oppression threatens all creation. And God responds with a series of plagues to show Pharaoh the chaos that his cruelty has unleashed. Finally, Pharaoh agrees to let the Israelites go. But right after they leave, Pharaoh changes his mind and chases after them with his army. In a dramatic scene, God works through Moses to part the sea so the Israelites can escape. The Israelites are free, but they're still tethered to Egypt. They wish they'd never left because Egypt had the best food. But it's more than food they miss. They were shaped by a society that taught them that security came by hoarding resources and exploiting others. So God responds by providing bread from heaven that spoils after one day. God shows them a way of being in the world where everyone has enough and no one has too much. But it's still a struggle. The Israelites don't know how to be free. But God has a plan. And that brings us to our scripture today. Exodus 19, 1-8 through 8. On exactly the third month anniversary of the Israelites leaving the land of Egypt, They came into the Sinai Desert. They traveled from Rephidim, came into the Sinai Desert, and set up camp there. Israel camped there in front of the mountain, while Moses went up to God. The Lord called to him from the mountain, This is what you should say to Jacob's household. Declare to the Israelites, You saw what I did to the Egyptians and how I lifted you on eagles' wings and brought you to me. So now, if you faithfully obey me and stay true to my covenant, you will be my most precious possessions out of all the peoples, since the whole earth belongs to me. You will be a kingdom of priests for me and a holy nation. These are the words you should say to the Israelites. So Moses came down and called together the people's elders and set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. 
the people all responded with one voice. Everything that the Lord has said we shall do. Moses reported to the Lord what the people had said. This is the word of the Lord. So far, Exodus has been all about liberation. God has been introduced as the God who gives freedom. Through the first 14 chapters, we're told the story of how the Israelites were freed from slavery. And this is actually where freedom must begin, by addressing systemic sin that oppresses and exploits the vulnerable. But God desires more than exterior freedom. God wants the people to be free from the desires that dominate their inner life. And we saw the beginning of this last week when the Israelites were controlled by their desire for a society that was structured so that some could gain power and wealth at the expense of others. God saw this and responded by sending bread from heaven that couldn't be possessed or hoarded. God is, is really showing them a new way of being in the world. But that takes more than just food. So Moses leads, us, leads them to Mount Sinai, where God will give them 10 laws that will help them live lives of freedom. And it might seem sort of strange to get laws here. If we want more freedom, we probably don't want a bunch of new laws. Because laws tell us what we can't do. And we usually understand freedom as getting to do what we want. But God knows that if freedom means getting what we want, then we'll never actually be free. Because what we want, like our desires, those are the things we cling to, the, the things we invest our hopes in. And our desires are, are things we bind ourselves to, the things that we tell ourselves we need to be happy. And of course, those things that we desire are outside of our control. I mean, we can treat people with kindness and respect and love, but that doesn't mean that they'll love us back. We can eat well and exercise and meditate every morning, but that won't prevent cancer from ravaging our body. And we can work hard at our job, but that won't stop a global pandemic from shutting down our business. Ultimately, so much of what we desire is beyond our control. And even when we get what we want, it rarely satisfies those desires. And you know, if we find professional success that we long for, it usually just makes us want more success. You know, maybe we buy that, that thing that seems so cool, it usually just makes us want more cool stuff. Feeding our desires usually just makes our appetite grow. And that is what drives us to to get ahead of our neighbor, to hoard possessions, or to live a life filled with resentment because 
we never receive the things that we believe will make us happy. And the God of liberation wants us to be truly free, not only from systemic oppression, but from the desires that we are taught by societies that exploit the vulnerable. And that kind of freedom, interior freedom, is only possible when we accept our limitations and our inability to satisfy every desire. We cultivate freedom as we ease our grip on those things that we cling to. And, and, and that, that's the spiritual journey. And it's not easy. So God gives the Israelites a set of laws that will help them structure their lives so they can find freedom from the desires that control them. And, I mean, we call these the Ten Commandments, but that's what they are. And, and those, the first three laws are really about God, specifically preventing us from using God to satisfy or to um, try to attain our desires. As I'm a, I'll just walk through these. The first commandment. I'm the, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. You must have no other gods before me. In other words, this commandment basically says, only worship the liberating God who brings freedom, not the gods of Egypt, the gods of slavery. And it also says, interestingly, that, that the liberating God is your God. That's you, singular, you the individual, not you the group. Because the law is between you and God. This is sort of, I think, meant for religious groups to never coerce people to follow the law by taking advantage of someone's desire to be accepted. Right? This law is between you and God. And the second commandment forbids people from worshiping idols because that would reduce God to one particular image or idea. And God wants to remain undefined. Remember, God's name is, I will be who I will be. But since God is really only known by God's name and by action, no one knows what, God's looks, what God looks like. And someone who desired power and influence could claim that, that this idol that I possess, this is the God who saved you. So the second commandment protects God's identity and reminds us to worship a God that's bigger than any single image or idea. And actually the third commandment's sort of similar. Don't use the Lord's name in vain. This really means don't speak on behalf of God, then do something bad. <laughs> I, I was trying to think of a way to explain this. I think it's almost like don't start sentence with, God wants you to dot, dot, dot. Because it's really hard to keep our desires separate from God's desires. And that's what God is warning against, speaking on behalf of God. Basically, God's saying, keep my name out of your mouth. And, and those three commandments are really intended to 
prevent us from using God to get what we want. But the next seven commandments prevent us from acting on our desires in way that, ways that hurt other people. Uh, the fourth is keep the Sabbath. Take a day of rest. Don't be so driven by your desire to get ahead that you work all the time. But this law is not just for me, the individual. It, it's for all of society. It extends to everyone. It also says, give Sabbath to your sons and daughters, your male or female servants, your animals, or the immigrant who's living with you. Sabbath must be provided to everyone who depends on you. This commandment puts the responsibility on those in power to structure society so that everyone can rest. It forces us to detach from our desire to get ahead by doing more or to get ahead by exploiting others. So that's number four. The next one is fifth. Honor your mother and father. <laughs> okay. This commandment does not tell kids to obey their parents. It says to honor both your mother and your father, which is something of note in a patriarchal society that those are treated equally, but it says honor them, which means more like prize them highly and show them affection, not just obey. And also, it's not written for kids. It's written for adults. And the primary focus is on caring for elderly parents. It's telling people not to put their parents on the street when they're too old to work. This commandment frees us from thinking that our generation is the only one that matters. Honor those who went before you. Care for them. The next one, seems straightforward, don't kill people. There is a lot of debate on what the word kill means. You know, like, does it mean murder? Does it mean war? Does it... The research indicates that the word initially probably referred to something like a blood feud, but by the time the law is written down, it's expanded to mean any act of violence that's based out of anger that might cause death, even accidental death. The, the numbers it sort of works that out, the book of Numbers. And interestingly, this is how Jesus interprets this commandment in Matthew 5, when he says, you heard it say, do not kill, but I say anyone who is angry is in danger of judgment. So this commandment, the sixth commandment, is a commandment that seeks to free us from anger that poisons our soul and threatens to kill and hurt those around us. And I've, I've only done six. This maybe was a little ambitious to run through all ten, so I'm going to pick up the pace just a little bit. Um, the seventh is don't commit adultery. This is about faithfulness and sexual desire. The word adultery refers specifically to sex that breaks the covenant of marriage. There are actually other laws that talk about sex before marriage, which is treated really differently than adultery. But adultery is, is set aside because it threatens to, it really threatens society by tearing apart family alliances and 
causing deadly blood feuds. So this commandment seeks to free us from sexual desire that betrays trust and hurts those we love. The Eighth Commandment, actually the next two are pretty straightforward. Don't steal. Don't let your desire for possessions overtake you. And the ninth, don't lie. Specifically, don't lie in court because this undermines society's justice. Being truthful sets you free from the web of lies that hurts you and hurt all around you. And then we come to the last one. Uh, may, maybe the most interesting, I don't know. Uh, do not covet or don't desire what your neighbor has. And the reason it's so interesting is because it's the only commandment that addresses our thoughts and feelings rather than our actions. And I suspect that that's because this, this kind of desire, they call it coveting, they, this, uh, this uh, takes away our interior freedom. And, and to be clear, I'm not talking about the desire for justice or the desire for food and shelter. No, this is desire that makes us believe that what we have is not enough. It makes us believe that we need what our neighbor has. The last commandment reminds us that, that desire drives the behavior that exploits others. The Ten Commandments are not a set of rules that need to be obeyed in order to be accepted. They aren't preconditions for the Israelites to become God's people. It's more like God is saying, y'all are my people and I want you to be free. Free from your oppressors and free from the fear the anger and the desires that control you. So here's a way to live that will help you find freedom. Right? And this is freedom to wake up to the present. Because as we accept our limitations, we spend less energy on what should be and are more able to see what is. As we ease our grip on the things we cling to, we're more able to appreciate the gifts of the present. We're more able to find God in the present. We're more able to love our neighbor, and we're more able to love ourselves. Truly, we are free to worship the God of liberation. Amen.